0: Hi, I'm Deborah Hamilton. Welcome to my podcast, Why Do Pets Matter? Ten years ago, with my iPhone and a script, I recorded the first episode of the Ultimate Pet Resolution Summit, which chatted with experts about conflicts over animals. Our conversations were intimate, honest, and illustrated how disagreements over animals occur and how those disagreements can reshape people's lives and relationships. In November, 2019, I started Why Do Pets Matter, a new podcast that continued these informative discussions. I'm so excited to have you here with me, continuing my exploration into a more meaningful conversation about why pets matter to all of us. My guests and I will share ideas, stories, and experiences straight from the heart, unscripted and holistic. From the bravest moments to the most brokenhearted, we will explore how to resolve disagreements over animals differently. One thing I know for sure is I want to have more meaningful conversations that will help all of us unlock that deeply felt human-animal bond that drives the emotions of conflict. Today, I am so honored to have Dr. Lindsay Evans, who is the Green Cross Regional Clinical Director, and she's a veterinarian in Australia. We just got, uh, we just worked together on a conference for Green Cross as opposed to Red Cross here in the United States. Green Cross works with the veterinary world in Australia. And Lindsay's gonna tell us a little bit more about that. But Lindsay, thanks so
1: much for being here. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Deborah. We had a great discussion with the conference. So really enjoy looking forward to today's discussion. I know we did the mental
0: health piece um, because conflict and, how to avoid burnout and stress was a really important piece of the Australian Veterinary Conference.
1: Yeah. And I think at the moment, you know, with all the stress that's going on in the world, it's just so important for our vets and nurses to be taking care of themselves because that means that they can then take better care of our patients and our clients as well. So it is such an important area to work on.
0: Oh, absolutely. So we always ask our guests the one question and then we meander afterwards because there's so much information that they all provide to the listeners, which is why we have such a wonderful following. So, Dr. Lindsay, why do pets matter to you?
1: So, I think there's there's a number of reasons. Um, And obviously, my career is all about pets. I mean, first of all, it's that sort of, you know, it's that real, unconditional love from both sides, so that we give to our pets, that they give back to us. The fact that they just make us feel good. Um, And there is starting to come out some amazing research from the Human-Animal Bond Research Institute on what's actually behind that. But I think it's something that we've all instinctively known for so long. And then also, you know, it's looking at what our pets can teach us as well. And so, you know, when we're talking about mental health as well, you know, a lot of that about that's about, you know, mindfulness of being in the moment that our pets are all so great at. But they're also so accepting and you know, of us, they you know, it doesn't matter what we've done that day that might be embarrassing or that we think is not not being done perfect, they'll come home, we'll come home, they're happy to see us. But They're also, you know, they're they're themselves as well. And so they're not worried about things that society is sort of pressuring them to to conform to certain roles and things, you know, they're each uniquely themselves. They're not worried about being anyone else. And I think, again, that's just something that we can really learn from, from them about our own mindsets. It's
0: so interesting. So we did the mental health piece and it was interesting that you just went right to that human-animal bond piece, because I think our mental health is... Um, really cared for by the interaction we have with pets?
1: Oh, absolutely. And I think, you know, through the the whole pandemic with so many places in in lockdown where people's worlds have have shrunk, um, you know, we have just really – realized more and more just the importance of our pets and the huge benefits they give us um, and you know so many people have welcomed new pets into their lives um, and just found you know what a, a wonderful thing that is as well or they've been spending more time with their their existing pets and just um, you know really seeing the benefits of that as well and i think for a lot of people that's been their sort of their lifeline at the moment
0: Absolutely. I know that I'm spending more time with my pet and you probably have pets. We're going to ask about what they are soon, but the, the ability to really shift your life. I've, I've taken to of recent weeks deciding that I'm looking at what the benefit of the pandemic was. And one of the things that was a huge benefit was people who had pets, spent more time with their pets, got more exercise, went walking with their pets because it was March, April, April, May, just as we're coming into, well, we're coming into spring, you were going into winter, so it might not have been the same for you, you'll have to let me know, but we all, you know, saw everything spring up, and, and it was probably the first time in my life I saw the entire spring cycle into summer, and so it was just such a wonderful experience. For you, it was more the, the um, hunkering down for winter
1: yeah and I mean like I guess in Australia we don't have as cold winters as as a lot of parts of the US as well and so um you know I think it was still really important for you know if it, as long as it wasn't raining and things people were still getting out there and and walking their pets or for people without pets getting out there and, and walking as well because at, at one point we sort of had a um you could go out for an hour of, of exercise um and so I think people were rotating you know that the walks for the dogs and so one person would take them one hour and and so else would take them later in the day and so yeah absolutely most of our our, our dogs um as our patients have been getting more walks than ever um which be, has been a little bit compensated by more snacks than ever as well with God,
0: because otherwise we have a lot of skinny dogs you know I, I know that uh i've walked my dog and it's so it is true and and i walk my dog twice a day and i'm sure if you walk your dog i'm going to see which one's there as i said uh your dog or or cat or whatever um, the people who aren't walking dogs and cats light up when they see me did you find that when you were walking your dog
1: oh definitely yeah and it's um you know and, and when people have got um masks on and, and things like that it's definitely harder to have that um you know I guess facial emotional connection as well but you know pets are, are amazing thing that can be that that real connection as well and and I think for people who you know who don't have pets you know they're um you know, they, they love to to have a bit of a pat of someone else's dog on a, on a walk and things. And it's, yeah, a really great way to, you know, just break the ice as well when you're walking around and have a bit of a conversation, a little bit of human interaction. Um, and again, you know, as well as our, our animal interaction, that human interaction and connection is so important.
0: Right. Especially now because we can't really be with people. So if you're walking your dog, you actually get to sp- stand 10 feet apart from someone with a mask on and say hello. And actually um, my dogs, I walked two at the beginning and then one of them went off to um, hunting camp cause he's an Irish setter. And uh, everyone asked me where the other dog was and it was so the human animal bond, right? And people are really worried when they don't see both dogs with you. So it took some people a really long time to ask me where that other dog was. And I realized that they were afraid um, something had happened to him. And so I actually initiated the conversation when they would look at me quizzically, you know, not say anything because they were a little afraid. And I'm sure as a veterinarian, you know, this people just, you know, it's it's hard to ask how the other dog is. Where's the other dog? Whatever. Um, and it was interesting because I just pipe up and say, he's a camp. And then you could see the relief on their face. He's at camp, okay. He's not dead, thank God. And uh, it because everybody got to see me every day in March and April and May and June and July. And he left the end of August. And it was it was really it. In fact, today I actually had somebody. Now he's been gone for two months. Uh, say not two dogs today. And I went. I went no, not two dogs today. And as I'm walking away, I go not two dogs for two months. So. <laughs> Obviously, you're observant, but, it, you know, it just creates that conversation, like you said. So it creates human-human interaction and creates um, human-animal bond. I, I love the memes that they've had out there now where the dogs, when you were saying everybody was walking the dog for an hour, where the dog said, enough, no more. Yeah, definitely. And the memes about the cat. So tell me about your pets. What do you have?
1: Yeah, so I've got a, a gorgeous um, older Labrador, senior Labrador Phoebe. Um, and so um, we sort of got her at about 10 years old. So, um, But she's just like such a, a placid, um, lovely girl as well and, and such a sweetie. And so she's also pre-COVID sort of gone to a few um, like preschool, kindergarten things to be able to sort of meet the kids because she does have that, um, that great nature as well
0: um, Oh, wonderful. So tell me a little bit more, because it's so heartwarming um, that you adopted a senior pet because those are the ones that never get adopted. Um, and, And tell me,
1: it seems like that might be something you
0: do usually or no
1: um well so she was actually my um my uncle's dog so it was sort of not from a a shelter or anything but they were moving overseas and so initially we were borrowing her um (laughs) for a little bit um and then she sort of permanently became became ours as well so it was really you know great to be able to take um her and, and then you know they knew that she had a, a good home and they could also you know visit her later on and, and things like that. And you know, initially the plan was once they came back to sort of send her back, but because she was getting you know getting a bit older and, and was pretty settled with us and she'd gone from um sort of Sydney where she was a little bit more of an outside dog to immediately an inside dog <laughs> with us, that <laughs> um you know just didn't think she could she'd cope with the the, the going back to that lifestyle as as much because she uh, I think from day one she. She was sort of like, you know, I'm, I'm an inside dog. I'm, I'm perfectly happy. In
0: yeah. Look at this. This is a couch and this is, I, I'm sort of, I, I have to tell you that there are so many great stories about people who've adopted older dogs who came from a certain situation. And then when they got to the new situation, they were like, um, yeah, uh, I'm staying. <laughs>
1: it, it's as if they know the deal. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, she's um, yeah settled in, you know, straight away. And, and now, like, she's definitely such a, a big part of our lives. And, you know, it does feel like we've had her for, forever, not adopted her as a, a senior dog, really. So.
0: so tell me a little bit more about Green Cross, because, of course, the United States, no one knows about Green Cross uh, because it's an Australian group, I believe. And maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but tell me a little bit more, because it was such a wonderful conference with so many great programs for veterinarians to attend both in science and emergency medicine and mental health it 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 just I loved going to all the events that I was able to make.
1: Yeah so it's across sort of Australia and New Zealand although the clinics in New Zealand have got um, a different name as well um, and they're part of the Organization. We've got um, Pet Barn, which is a, a retail store. We've also got a number of sort of emergency specialist centres as well. So it is a it is a really big um, animal care organisation and pet care organisation. And that's sort of one of the aims is to try and be the best at that in the world because we do have that real breadth of, of services that we can offer as well. So there's about 150 um, GP clinics across Australia. Uh, and, yeah, we do have a really big um, focus on, on our standards of care um, and part of that does include that education for both our vets and nurses and so normally our symposium would be a a face-to-face event um and so and that's always been a really good time for, for networking seeing everyone um but obviously with covid it's had to go online um and the the team organizing it did such an amazing job of just pivoting, moving everything online, having some amazing international speakers such as yourself as well. And, and like you said, such a breadth of different streams. Um, And there were some real advantages to having it online as well. And so, you know, where normally you could potentially a- attend about eight different lectures. Um, this time people, you know, could attend as, as many as they could over the four-week period. And so I think the average was sort of getting up to about sort of 15 or 20 webinars per pe- person. Um, and, you know, even physically with a, a, a live conference, you can't attend two different streams at once. And so people were able to then dip their toes in and out of different streams. Um, the mental health stream was amazing. That got really good feedback rating on the, the webinars and really a lot of attendance as well. And that's just so important for for anyone um, in the network as well to really look after themselves and each other as well. Um, And then we had business and we had, yeah, um, the the scientific streams, so medicine, surgery, emergency, nursing streams, just so we can, you know, everyone has the opportunity to be um, keeping up to date with what's the latest in evidence-based medicine so that we can offer that to our, our pets and our clients as well.
0: So I know as the clinical director, it is probably imperative for you to help veterinarians maintain um, good mental health because it is amazing that veterinarians here in the United States and and possibly in Australia and New Zealand as well, um, are a high level of suicide. So we really need to do a lot of self-care and a lot of support to, because they are such compassionate and caring people that they take a lot of what clients say um, to heart And I know Nadine Hamilton has a group in Australia called Love Your Pet, Love Your Vet, just to simply educate veterinarians on how to um, sustain their self-worth, regardless of what's being said, and also to speak to uh, pet owners on how to better respect and speak to your vet.
1: Yeah. And Nadine was one of the amazing speakers in that stream. And I think you know that, that mental health component is is so important um, and getting our, our clients and our pet owners involved as well, because to get the best care for their pets, we need to make sure that we're all working together, that we've got that real trust. And so that the pet owners are comfortable with talking to us about, you know, what's going on, um, you know, and we're not going to, you know hopefully we shouldn't be judging them for for that as well because everyone's doing the best they can and so if they've given some treatment at at home and things you know it's really important to understand why um and then also to educate them because if we sort of shut them down they're not going to tell us next time and we're not going to get the best outcome and then also it's about us working with the pet owners on the best way to to treat their pet as well. And so that's about giving them options, but it's also talking to them about, you know, how practically they might administer that medication. And is that going to be something that's going to be difficult? Um, And if it is, do we have other, other options, you know, and sometimes we've got different formulations of drugs um, and for some pets we've organized to have them brought into the clinic each day so that we can administer the medication to try and make it a success if there's no other option and so it's really got to be you know everyone's got to be on board that it's a partnership we're not working against each other we're working together and so that's we've got to have that trust and that respect that goes both ways as well and so I think you know clients and vets have all been guilty in the past of not treating that relationship with the, the respect that is as well. And so we're working on that
0: such um, um, so deeply because it really is that working relationship that will take the best care of the pet. Um, It's it's amazing to me working with Nadine and working with the other mental health people that were on the list. There was one um, whose name escapes me. My apologies, but I'm sure you remember who talked about nutrition and then one that talked about, um, you know, Physical health, yoga. So tell us a little bit about what they did because I thought that was such an important piece of the pie. So you have to eat right. Um, you know, we all want the dogs and cats to eat right. We all want the dogs and cats to eat right. Tell me a little bit about how um, one of the mental health professionals who were in in the stream talked about that, and then about the movement.
1: Yeah, so um, I think it was Dory Martin who was sort of talking about the the nutrition and, and things like that, and it was more from a from a hu- human perspective yeah, as well. Right, um, yeah. yeah, which is which is great because again, you know, I guess if we're fueling our bodies properly, then we've got that energy. Um, we're in the the right sort of mental space as well to support ourselves and to support support our teams. But it's also then you know having the conversations with our pet owners about the nutrition for their pets as well because it is similar to human nutrition. It's becoming such a, a complex field with so many new diets and new things that are that people are doing. Um and I suppose coming from a-
0: Some of them them aren't good.
1: That's that's it. And again, it's about not um, shutting people down with um, what they're doing. It's like, you know, being curious about what they're feeding their pets, why they're doing it, um, and working with them if it is something that is either an amazing diet or if this, it's something that might have risks or that can be improved as well. Because some people do want to do home-cooked diets, but there are sort of services out there that you can get veterinary nutritional um, recipes for home-cooked diets so that we're making sure that we're not getting nutritional deficits and things like that, or excesses as well, which can be um, just as harmful as well. Uh, and also, you know, I think we're finding it with people and with pets, there's no one perfect diet as well. And so, you know, we may recommend something that's worked well for us, you know, hundreds of times before, but for this particular pet, there's something else that might work better. And it's frustrating to have to do sort of, I guess, a trial and error approach sometimes, but it's also, you know, it's having that, um, that team around the pet as well so that we're all having really good communication. So if something's not working, we can talk about, you know, why it not, might not be working, what the other options are as well. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's all about that pet. Um, and it's also, you know, everyone's doing the, the best they can. So our pet owners um, and the, the vets and the nurses in the team as well, you know, we all want that, that best outcome, for the pet um, and we come from different directions. And so, you know, we, we do have that clinical knowledge, but it's also really important to, rec- to recognize that our owners, they're the expert in that pet, you know, they're seeing them every day. They know what's normal for them as well. And so it's gotta be a team approach. It's just so important to do that. I love
0: that you say that because the team is so important and the team has to respect each other. Uh, as, as equal members, because if, if I'm doing something for my dog uh, that I believe is really good for my dog, coming down on me really hard about it will, will likely either not have me go back to the vet or um, have me really shut down and not tell the vet anymore what I'm doing, which of course is like the worst thing in the world. So to be able to listen for understanding as to why And Amy, I love Simon said, you know, start with why. So why are you doing it that way, Lindsay? Um, Why are you feeding them that food? Oh, because they don't eat very well. And you thought if you lace it with this, that'd be really great. Well, let's see, they're 10 pounds overweight right now. And, you know, they're a bulldog and, you know, they have joints that, you know they're young now, they're five or six years old now, but when they get to be 12, like your dog, it's gonna be a little more difficult for them. So can we think of something else would you be open to? Because that's the part of the program that, that I led, which was how to ask curious questions that don't shut somebody down. We want to make sure that that relationship with a veterinarian, and I know that Green Cross does this across the board with their um, members, their teams, uh, to make sure that the client is as much a part of the team. And I also loved when you said, uh, don't uh, shut them down when they're telling you something because that really is, is not going to help. And the ability for them to do what it is you've asked them to do. I have a friend who had a little tiny dog, one of those little dogs that are impossible to pill and or give any medication whatsoever. I don't care who you are, unless you're a very skilled vet um, or a very skilled breeder of little small dogs, it is really hard to give them a pill. I, I'm just telling you, it's I've, I've watched them and it's almost impossible and I can pill almost anything. but So my friend, had, I think it's Pepion, uh, Papillon, and she was trying to pill it. And she was talking to another vet, not her vet, but another vet who was a friend, and said, you know, I just can't pill this dog. If I find them all over the house. And the other vet said, well, do you know it comes in liquid? And she goes, no, I didn't know it came in liquid. She goes, yeah, it comes in liquid. You just shoot it in his mouth. So she went back to the vet. And we talked about this before we came on the air, but talking about money is like the other anithma for veterinarians. They just don't want to talk about money the liquid form of this medication was about $5 more than the pill form. And I know it's difficult to talk about money and you probably have a lot of, you know, experience with your colleagues, but you have to, because if they can't get the pill down the dog's throat, you really do have to talk about that $5 more liquid.
1: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think that sort of, you know, talking about mental health, that money um, conversation really does come into it. Um, And it varies a little bit country to country, but I've worked in Australia and the UK. And so both countries have a a pretty good um, health system as well. Um, But part of that is that people don't see the costs for their own healthcare as well and so they've got very little to compare it with and so you know often we do doing, you know we've got um si- you know similar equipment to a, a lot of um hospital you know we're doing and similar
0: procedures and provide things. the healthcare that that you can because of that equipment right
1: yeah yep and we've got you know our nurses who are constantly monitoring the patients and and things like that and so it is a pretty labor intensive industry as well and so there are, are costs associated with that, that, you know, we, we have to pass on to clients as well. And so I think, you know, it is always that, that difficult conversation. Um, and, you know, we, we, we don't want to be putting people in, in difficult situations, but that's sort of what it, what it costs. And I think, you know, we have a, a more of an emotional element bought into it compared if you're, you know, getting your car fixed or, or something like, like that um, as well. Um, and so, you know, it's, you um, you know, it, it can be really hurtful when people, clients say to people, well, you're only in it for the money. You don't actually care about the, the pets. Um, you know, when, when we absolutely care about the pets, but we need to go home and, and buy our groceries and pay our mortgages and things like that, just like anyone else as well. And having
0: that conversation transparently and also starting off when the puppies are young, saying, you know, there is insurance out there now and, and you have insurance for yourself for your health. Maybe you should have insurance for your pet as well, and not just wellness insurance, because I think the, the interesting thing is that um, there are two kinds of, well, there's more than two, there's a billion kinds of uh, pet insurance out there now, but some do the wellness and some do the catastrophic um, and I actually have one of each for my dogs because I'm basically crazy. Uh, but you know, some of it will refund your money when you go in for your regular checkups and some will refund part of your money if you have a catastrophic event such as cancer or God forbid the dog gets hit by a car or something like that. And it's it, here in the United States, and I'd love to hear if it's different in Australia, the veterinarians have a really hard time talking to the client when they bring in the puppy about starting insurance now, well, they don't have a pre-existing
1: condition. Yeah, yeah so it's definitely something we're doing, doing more of and getting that, um, more of that uptake. And so I think in the UK, they've got a much higher... Percentage of insured clients than than we do, um, and there are definitely issues with the the insurance. So the fact that you know if you do have a pre-existing condition, you can't then transfer policies, which makes it hard. So yeah, we are now starting to when we're having that that big puppy talk, talking about getting people to look into insurance before anything happens, so that they're going to be covered for for everything. And some people have you know they've had experiences where they've had pets that have had um, serious illnesses that have cost them a lot and of money. And they're first and online to get the insurance. <laughs> they are, yeah. Or they've got, you know, specific breeds that are um, more prone to, to health issues, unfortunately. And so they've been talking to um, other people who, who own the, the same, the same pets as well. Um, and so they're, again, they're sort of straight on that bandwagon, getting them nice and, and early as well. Um, and, you know, I guess with sort of any insurance, it's, it's that sort of safety net. If you've got costs that, you aren't gonna be able to afford yourself. And so, you know, to some degree it's, you probably hope you never use it. But I think sometimes with pet insurance, it's one of those ones that people almost like to get the value out of it. And if they don't use it, then it's not always seen as that same safety net. Whereas it's sort of, I guess it's, you know, it's it's good if your pet doesn't get um, catastrophically sick and doesn't need that.
0: So, so absolutely. So you can't transfer it. So that money is sort of a sunk cost that you don't get back. Here in the United States, we have something. Mark, Dr. Mark Alcott's going to be on uh, the podcast coming up, and he started something called Vitus Vet, which actually gives you the opportunity to uh, set money aside for your pet care. Does Australia have anything like that where you can sort of pay a mortgage payment? <laughs> You
1: know, no, pay- I don't think we've got anything like that at, at Someone, this stage. So I think some people will like self-insure themselves. So they might put it in a, in a yeah. savings account. And, you know, I think it's, you know, any of those options are a good option. It's just about being prepared so that you, so that I guess money doesn't come into it when you're having to make difficult decisions for your pets as well, because, you know, you generally, you just, you want to look at what's going to give them the, the best outcome. Um, and sometimes it's, you know, it, it is a balance, you know, you're looking at potentially quite an invasive procedure that may not have the best success rate. And so you want to be able to think about that without thinking about the financial aspect. You just want to be looking at what's the best thing for your pet at this time. Right. And you really need the transparency. I know in my
0: office, when people come to me and they're disappointed with the outcome of a, a huge surgical procedure or something, usually what occurs is, is that the veterinarian, because they are positive and because they believe in their abilities, don't necessarily outline the, um, what could go wrong. And that usually drives the pet owners nuts because I didn't know. I didn't know that this could go wrong. I didn't know that that could go wrong. And so for us, as people looking from the outside, if we could help veterinarians learn how to communicate, this is what we are looking forward to having happen. And I absolutely need to tell you what might be found, what might go wrong, what might, because we, we all wanna enter this next step. Um, like you said, knowing the full cost, but not having to worry about money, but knowing the full extent of possible outcomes. And I know you probably talk to your veterinarians all the time about, I know it's hard to say that, well, this, the, the dog, or might have a bad reaction to anesthesia, might have a bad reaction to the surgery, something might go wrong, we might get in there. I know I've had dogs who've had spleens removed um, and my vet always tells me, you know, when I get in there, if something's really bad, I'm gonna call you. And I go, I get it. Uh, because if you're in there and one of my dogs had pancreatic cancer and I just let them go, was I ready for them to go that day? No, were they just supposed to have their spleen out? Yes. But by having that transparent conversation, I was ready for that phone call. Not really, but you know what I mean, um, that something else might be going on.
1: Yeah, and we've just um, sort of updated a lot of our consent forms um, and had a really big focus on informed consent. And it is about, you know, I guess talking about the outcomes, you know, from different options as well. Um, And unfortunately, that does involve going into what the risks of the procedure are. And it's a really fine line sometimes between scaring people too much um but also you know so that they're prepared um that you know our our pets are they're biological you know organisms it's not a a machine that we can just plug something into and and do a sort of diagnostic thing it's you know there's um like they talk about the you know it's the art and science of, of veterinary medicine as well and we need to look at the numbers with our results, but we also need to look at that patient in front of us. And, and yeah, even when we do absolutely everything we can, you know, unfortunately, sometimes we don't get the outcome we want. And so it's, um, yeah, I think if if clients are prepared for that, um, but it's, it's always got to be done in a in a really sensitive manner. Um, and yeah, it's, um, it can be a difficult conversation to have. And, and so communication skills are just so vital um, for, for any anyone in the world, but particularly in, in this industry as well, just to make sure that we're, we're having that clear and open co- communication that our clients have got opportunities to ask us questions, to get us to clarify things if we haven't been clear in explaining them as well, you know, to talk about what they're worried about, what we're worried about. Um, and just so we've got that. That two-way communication.
0: It is so. It is so important, Lindsay. This half hour flew by. I cannot believe it. I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have you back because you are just a fountain of information. I think three of the things that I'm taking away is that you know animals are really part of our human-animal bond that have allowed us to really survive this COVID time and and let us survive at any time. Um, the the team structure of how we approach veterinary relationships with our veterinarians, our veterinary nurses and our clients is key. And then of course, the last piece, which is my bugaboo is how to communicate in a way that doesn't scare anyone, but lets them know everything that's going on. Cause you, you really have to treat people with the, um, with the respect that they can handle this. And yet, you don't wanna, you put it perfectly, you don't wanna scare them, but you really do want them to know so they can make a, um, an educated choice on what they want to do because uh, it, it really is the outcome that we all want. So Lindsay, I am so glad you were here. I'm so glad to have been a part of Green Cross. I want everybody to check out Green Cross. They can go to greencross.com, right? Oh, a- yep. Lindsay, thank you so much. I can't wait to have you back. Um, I hope you had a good time. I had a great time. This was I a did. wonderful conversation. The Why Do Pets Matter podcast drops every Thursday and can be found on whichever platform you find your podcasts. Subscribe now, invite your friends, and I cannot wait to have you join me in these conversations.